Happy Wednesday, everybody. I was hoping for a small crowd tonight, and I'll tell you why. I figure you are the adept. And, and by that, by that, I mean these are the people in this room that can probably take some of the hard news about our spirituality. You're, yeah, I hope so. Thank you for that. So, so I want to talk about something that's kind of dodgy tonight. So we've been talking about for months now, really, on the Wednesdays, I'm here anyway, about this idea of our creative mind. And we've covered some of the basics. We've talked about how our thoughts are creative, that literally our thinking propels us into our experience of the world, that our thoughts in some ways literally become things, or at least our impression of the world absolutely driven more by our thinking process than anything else. And we've had tips and techniques over the last couple Wednesdays when I was here, how we might go about changing some of our thought processes to achieve a better life, to begin seeing more riches in our life. And by riches, I mean everything from improved relationships to, to more money in the bank. And today, I'm going to tell you why it doesn't always work out. That's why you're the adepts, and you should feel free to lord this information over your friends and family. Because rightfully you're saying, well, doesn't this law of cause and effect, doesn't this law of creative mind work all the time? So if I have a new thing that I want to be or a new thing that I want to do, and if I organize my thoughts so that I'm predominantly thinking of that, it is going to happen, right? And yet, how often do we not feel stuck? It's as though our life, our, our present tense wants to cling on to us even as we're struggling for newness, even as we have a new idea of what we want to experience, a new idea of what life could be like, a, a grand new plan for blossoming in some way or going back to school or a new relationship or whatever it is, and we think we're actually doing a pretty darn good job of putting that into prayer, of having affirmations around it, around organizing our thoughts in that way, and we wake up in the morning and things don't look a heck of a lot different than they did before. Am I the only one that's experienced that? Okay, You're, I was getting a little bit of the deer in the headlights, so I just, wanted to, I just wanted to check in, right? So now, of course, as the minister, I'm not going to go to the place, well, maybe this just doesn't work, because I know that it works so often. I see it work so beautifully in myself, in my clients, in my friends. Uh, so often I see it exactly work that way. They'll have a new idea of what they want. They'll put their emphasis on it. They'll put their attention to it. They'll do some prayer work around it. They might see a practitioner around it. And like that, it takes off. And so why sometimes does it not work for me? Well, I'm going to start with a joke because I, I think I've painted this a bad enough picture, and uh, maybe it's time to lighten up a little bit. Okay, so the taxi passenger tapped the driver on the shoulder to ask him a question. The driver screams. 
He loses control of the car, nearly hits a bus, went up on the footpath and stops just inches from plowing into a shop window. For a second, everything quiet in the cab. Then the driver says, don't you ever do that again. You scared the living daylights out of me. Well, the passenger apologized, but she says, gosh, I just tapped you on the shoulder. The driver replies, well, I'm sorry. I, I guess it isn't your fault. Today is my first day driving a cab. I've been driving a funeral van. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess, I guess that's the trouble is my past carries right along with me. I have a new idea. I want to be the taxi driver. I want to try something new. And everything that got me to this point where I am right now is still there. The beliefs I had yesterday, the reality that I experienced yesterday, the relationships that I had yesterday, the, the lifestyle that I had yesterday, even though I have this brand new idea of what I want to do, and even though it's powerful, and even though it's beautiful, and even though I can almost feel it calling to me, it's like, what's this clinging on to my jacket? It's yesterday. It's even 10 minutes ago. And it's difficult sometimes to escape the very nature of who I have been in order to move into that grand new territory of where I want to be. And you know, this was summarized beautifully some 2,000 years ago in a parable by Jesus of Nazareth. And I wanted to share this with you. You know, we don't get the opportunity of quoting from the New Testament too much around here. But I couldn't resist this one because it really tells the story really well. Now, this is a story. Uh, so Jesus and his disciples get, uh, shall I say, criticized a bit because they were not fasting on a day when fasting was appropriate according to the calendar. And so one of the Pharisees came up and said, so like, what's going on? You don't observe the, the ritual fasting? And Jesus says, well, no. Jesus likened it to uh, fasting during a bridal procession. And in those days, even on a, on a day when normally people would be observing the fast, if a marriage was taking place, of course, you participated in the wedding banquet. And so his idea was, what Jesus was explaining to them is, it's time to try something new, just like when there's a wedding on a, on a day when we're supposed to be fasting, we eat, we enjoy it. New times call for new customs. And he goes on to liken it this way. He says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, you must pour new wine into new wineskins so that both may be enjoyed. Well, back then, rather than barrels, they actually used animal hides for the fermentation of, of spirits. And so literally they would sew up the hide of an animal 
with the fermenting wine in it. And of course, if you know, if any of you, do we have any home brewers here, either with wine or, or beer? As you know, it actually works. It, cons- uh, it expands and contracts as the yeast in it works to, to ferment the alcohol in it. And so an old wine skin had already been stretched to its limit. And if you put new wine in it, it was simply a recipe for a messy household. So what he's saying here is if you want things to be new, it has to go just beyond the idea. It has to just go beyond your own dream. You have to also set up an environment for it to flourish. It has to be put into a new wineskin. You can't live new ideas in your old life. And so let me use a a couple examples here. Uh, When I first went to work for the telephone company some 25 years ago, I started out as an an input analyst, which was a fancy word for typist. Uh, (laughs) I think they wanted to give us titles so we wouldn't be ashamed of what we were doing, but basically we were typing all day long. And I think they hired me even though I was slow at it because I didn't make very many mistakes. (laughs) But enough of that. I was there for about two weeks and I decided I wanted to be a supervisor. And I, I would say my motives weren't very good. I just wanted more money and better benefits. But, uh, but here we would be clustered around the water cooler on breaks and whatnot, and I'd be asking, well, how do you get to be a supervisor around here? You know, do you have to be 100 years old? Or, you know, I was about 20 and not really knowing how corporate America worked at all. But I knew that was my idea of what I wanted to do. And yet, every day I would still go on break with the other workers and we would badmouth the company and we would talk about how foolish the supervisors were. In fact, I was doing just about everything possible to not be a supervisor. Do you know what I mean? Because when I looked around, my observation of the supervisors, well, they didn't stand around and gossip about the company, right? They didn't do those kinds of things. They had their own little world. And so I, in my thought of wanting to be a supervisor, I'm doing just about everything in the real world to make sure I wouldn't be one, right? My desire was not matching up with how I was conducting my life. Well, not long after that, I had the opportunity to be in one of my first Science of Mind classes. And the the teacher at that time did a very sweet thing. In fact, I don't know, maybe they do it in the classes here. She offered, if anyone wants a free practitioner session, as long as you're in the class, you know, count me in. And I'd never had a practitioner session before, and the thought of, you know, what goes on was all very mysterious to me. But since it was free, right, I took a chance on it. And so she asked me, well, what was some of my, like, what was a dream that I would like to have? And I explained that I wanted to be a supervisor at work to get better pay and better benefits. And she said, oh, well, what's that like? What are the supervisors there like? And I said, oh, they're awful. Uh, you know, they're all old for one thing. Some of them are as old as 40, if you can believe that. <laughs> right? I was like, I was like 21, 22. And I said, oh, and they're, ter- you know, they're, they're argumentative and they, you know, they're just orderous around and they don't give people time off when they need it. And, and I, you know, I just keep blurting out all this negativity about supervisors. And my practitioner kind of folded her arms and she said, I guess you don't have a very high opinion of them, do you? And I said, oh, no. They're t-. And she said, then I guess you don't really want to be one, do you? 
And I'm sure my mouth dropped open, (laughs) right? Right. I was trying to put new wine in an old wineskin. My old idea of what a supervisor was. My old idea of what the company was like and should be like. My old gossipy ways around, right? There was no way I was going to be a supervisor. If we want a new experience of life, we have to actually change ourselves to make a match. There has to be a new wine skin, if you will, to put the new wine into. You know, another of my favorite stories, I, I hadn't been a, a practitioner for very long, and, uh, and I got uh, my first Lonely Hearts case. And let me explain what that is, because most practitioners have wound up with one or two. It's the person that comes to you and says, more than anything in life, I want my life's partner. And she and he are going to, or he are going to be so, so sweet and so respectful and so, um, so handsome or so beautiful and our life together is going to be. And they've kind of made a nice mental equivalent of what they think about this relationship will be, which is actually pretty useful if you're a practitioner, right? It gives you something to pray on. But then you start asking questions a little bit and you say, so... Uh, how is your life organized right now? Like, are you dating? And I mean, you ask a few practical questions, right? Are you just sitting at home waiting for the doorbell to ring? Or, or have you actually gone out on a few dates? Are you actually walking along the path of finding someone? And the answer is usually, oh, gosh, dating's horrible. I don't know that I want to do that. <laughs> and then you'll ask, well, you know, are you doing at least Match.com or you know, e-harmony or something? How are you expecting? Oh, gosh. No, I think we should just pray for it. It'll just be easier that way. (laughs) And then I'll start asking questions like, well, you seem like you're really busy. You had to reschedule that appointment and do this. Where where are you imagining your intended? How is it going to fit into your lives? And sometimes their mouths just drop open. It's like they don't even have time to date someone How do they imagine that they would have a life's partner? That requires more than a couple hours a month, right? To have a a life partner. And you'll ask them, "Well, well, how have you thought about this will actually fit into your lifestyle? Like, does your garage have space in it for two cars? And they'll just kind of look at you. And pretty quickly you'll discover they don't even have physical room for someone in their life, let alone time for someone in their life, let alone the spiritual nature of wanting to be someone. It's just a dream. It's just trying to fit a dream of the future into a current life that you're unwilling to budge an inch about. It's putting that new wine and saying, it's got to fit in this particular wineskin or I'm not having it. So how do we get around this? Uh, So far I've been portraying kind of why we're stuck, right? And I got to tell you, if you look in your own life in those places where you were stuck, I almost guarantee it will be because 
you haven't allowed for the newness to unfold. You're not nurturing your dream. You're not taking steps in the avenue of your dream. You haven't created an environment where your dream, your new way of being can actually flourish. You haven't made room for it. You haven't uh, allowed the time for it. Maybe you, maybe you need to take classes for it. I finally did actually get the supervisor's job, but you know what I had to do? I actually had to learn how to become a supervisor. Can you imagine? There are courses for that. And I became a good supervisor, and after the inside of me was a supervisor, then I got promoted. <laughs> so what can you do so that you are the person that has that dream come true. If it's relationships, you need to find out what makes people attractive in relationships. It's availability, it's a, a loving countenance, it's being easy with people, it's about non-judgment. Are you those things? Because if you're those things, if you become those things, People are drawn to you. The relationships are easy and sweet and fulfilling because literally you are that which you want to experience. You are that love. You are that non-judgment. You are that sweetness of being. And people will flock to you like a moth around flames if you are the thing that you want to experience. You want to have a fabulous new job, a fabulous new relationship? How are you fabulous in it? Do you need to take a class? Do you need to do some visioning around how you might be different? Do you need to get some advice from someone who has already done that? I had someone not too long ago um, that came to see me because they wanted to boost their household income. And I said, well, uh, all right. I said, how many, uh, how many wealthy people do you know? And she said, oh, I don't know any wealthy people at all. And I said, well, this could be tricky because you probably don't have a very good idea of how wealthy people live their lives. And she said, well, why is that important? And I said, well, you're wanting to be something that you have no experience of. It's like saying, oh, I want to be a race car driver, but I'm not really interested in looking at cars. <laughs> right? We need to get the new wineskin to pour the new wine, the new ideas, the new zest for life into. Sometimes it requires training. Sometimes it requires ingenuity. Sometimes it requires you sitting down honestly with yourself and saying, what do I need to change here? What tinkering do I need to do in myself to be more lovable, to be more capable, to be more understanding, to have a, a better handle on what it's like to be wealthy or, or what it's like to be in a long-term relationship. Sometimes the tinkering goes pretty deep because you don't have an experience of it. You've never been in a long-term relationship before that was successful, maybe. You've never been in the job of your dreams, and so it's easy to get stuck in that idea of not knowing how to get from here to here because you haven't been in the there yet. So how do we start? We start by imagining, and now we're back to the creative mind itself because even though you may not know a wealthy person, you have the creativity to start understanding how wealth works. 
You can walk up to people and start uh, getting a coach in areas of wealth or relationships or a new job. You don't have to do this alone. Your creativity will, will pull you into, what do I need to know in order to be successful at this? What, do I, what do, would make me irresistible to that hiring person? What would me be, make me irresistible to the new relationship or the new hobby, um, the, the new thing, the new way of being that I want to be? And when you really sit down and start making lists and figuring out what in you needs to change, that's when the offers start coming in. That's when life really changes because you're nurturing the ground before you plant the seed. You're having that sense of full participation, not just hiding out in your home, a wishing and hoping. <laughs> Do we all know what the great disease of wishing and hoping is? It's when you're wishing and hoping for something that you're pretty sure is never going to happen. And you know what? I'm pretty sure it's never going to happen because we have to put our heart in it. We have to put our joy in it. We have to put all of us in it, not just the idea, our whole entire self. I'm going to close today with a quote from Ernest Holmes on this subject. I think, here it is. This is from his book, Thoughts Are Things. He says, it is impossible for you to experience the full joy of living while you identify yourself with your past. The images of your thoughts will attract to you and you are attracted to people, circumstances, and situations which are like them. Once you fully realize this, you will understand that to change your conditions or to protect yourself from them, you must of necessity change the basic patterns of your own thought and your own life. This requires that you must constantly be on guard as to what you allow to enter into your mind or to arise from negative experiences of the past. When such thoughts are in any way contrary to your new ideal, they must be immediately discarded. They must be replaced with their opposites. Your ideas must affirm your welfare in every respect. Let us pray. There is one life, one love, one joy, one intention. This one first cause I call God, but I know it goes by so many names. Allah, Jehovah, the divine feminine, the universe. Call it what you will. It is that divine creative force of all things. It is that which allows our thoughts to become things. It is what allows our own thinking to, to realize what must be done in order for our thoughts to have full fruition. As we put new wine into new wineskins, we recognize that divine creative process in its fullest. I know this is true for me. And I know it is true for each person in this room that as we devote our full intellect, our actions, our heart, our mind into something that is new, it comes about. We experience it. It is the good pleasure of 
God itself to make it so. And with each passing day, I know we get a little bit better, both at seizing the dream and also making sure that our environment is suitable to it. We do what is necessary in the world to support our thoughts, to help bring about this goodness one step at a time through our actions, through our intentions, through our thoughts, through our heartfelt sense of acceptance. And so it is with great gratitude that I acknowledge this this perhaps secret of the universe, this new wine belonging in the newness of our own lives. And for this, I am grateful. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. So grateful to have you here.